Welcome to Frontline Church. It is, uh, it, is, it is great to be here. And if you are new here, thank you so much for joining us today. And I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful to spend Sunday morning with you guys. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the, the Gospel of uh, St. Matthew, chapter 25. And we'll look at uh, verses 31 through 46 today. As you get there, I want to take a, a few minutes to catch us up to speed on what we've been learning, what we've been studying together as a church. So last week, we, we, uh, we, have, we kicked off our summer sermon series on the parables of Jesus. Parables are these short stories or illustrations that Jesus uses, mostly from everyday uh, Jewish life. And he uses those stories to communicate profound imperatives of the kingdom of God to his followers. And we see here that uh, when, we, when we actually consider the, the word kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is, is, uh, is not a political kingdom. It is not a, a kingdom that is, a, that is a, a restrained by the geographical or political boundaries that we have in kingdoms on this side of eternity. The kingdom of God, in its most simple sense, it is a, it's a realm where, where King Jesus has all authority. And it's a realm where the reign and the just and righteous rule of Jesus Christ reigns. And Jesus calls us to, to live our lives out as subjects of this kingdom. Now, it is important for us today to, to take some time and look at this, look at the kingdom of God, and look at, uh, pay attention to the king who reigns over this kingdom, Jesus Christ, because this will inform how we live our life and how we engage the world around us. Now, sometimes we, we approach the world, we view some, sometimes we view the world like we, view the, like we see the, 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 the Titanic, the, not the movie, the ship. You know? So we, we, we look at the world like, a sink, like we would look at a sinking ship. And the most, uh, most uh, loving thing to do when we have that view is to make sure that we can get the people off of this ship and, and transport them onto a life raft and safely row away from the ship. And sometimes we view the world like a, like a war-torn, war-ravaged city or town. Think about the recent images that we've seen from the violence in the Middle East. We are so overwhelmed by what is going on. We look at the world as a place where there's a, something tragic that is unfolding. And we don't know how to respond. And we are even tempted to look away and dismiss the world as something that is beyond redemption or restoration. Now through the parables, Jesus pushes back against these perspectives. Jesus pushes back against his views. And he challenges us through the parables to consider his reign and consider his rules and calls us to live out the ethics of his kingdom through our everyday lives. Now the Bible teaches that there will be one day when the reign and rule of Jesus Christ will be absolute over every nation of the world. And his reign and rule will be, will, will, will be absolute over every square inch of every human heart. And today in the passage that we are reading, Jesus is uh, rolling back the curtains of time. And he is giving us a sneak peek, a sneak preview of things to come. So I want you to, I want to invite your attention to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. And as we read this passage, we see two paradoxical qualities of Jesus. Two paradoxical qualities that my hope is that we would see these two seemingly paradoxical qualities and that would encourage our faith and that would empower, strengthen our resolve to live as faithful citizens of the kingdom of God. Let's read this together. 
Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did, when did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they'll go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we, we stand before you. We stand before your word. And Lord, I, I feel the sobering weight of this passage. And Holy Spirit of God, we, we, pray, we, pray, for, we pray for our hearts today in this room. We pray, God, that as we, as we listen to your word, we pray that you will help us to not just, not just listen with our ears, but we pray that you will teach us today to listen with our hearts. We pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you will, you will give us soft hearts before your word. And as we walk away from this building today, Holy Spirit of God, would you, would you stir up our affections for Jesus? We want to love Jesus more. We want to rest in him more. We want to think upon him more. And so, Lord, strengthen us, build us through your word. We love you. We trust you. We want to trust you more. In Christ's name we pray. So uh, when we look at this passage, it is interesting that as opposed to what a lot of the major world religions teaches, the Bible teaches us very clearly that all of human history, all of human history is on a progressive course. It's on a progressive designed course moving forward. It is on a course that, that has its destination set to the throne room of Jesus Christ. Every, every single part of history will end in one place, the throne room of Jesus Christ. Listen to the words of uh, William Barclay. He says, uh, history is not a random kaleidoscope of disconnected events. It is, a pro it is a process directed by the God who sees the end right in the beginning. We see in this parable a, a powerful picture that Jesus is painting. A powerful picture where we see him enthroned. We see him enthroned in his heavenly throne and surrounded by angelic beings. And we see the nations of the earth that are gathered before him. And we see him judging over the nations of the earth with equity and justice. And this is, a, this is actually a, a very tall claim. 
some of the some even some of the original audience who heard that were offended now sometimes we we or some people generally speaking some people would would look at look at the bible as a as a book as a good book of moral principles a good book that would that would help us to live a good moral life and sometimes even professing christians their their conviction is limited to seeing king jesus christ as a good moral teacher or a guru who has got good things to say their modern sensibilities will only allow them to selectively engage the words and teachings of jesus christ the the, the teachings of jesus christ on 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 uh, uh, grace and love and peace is widely popular but then the harder sayings of jesus christ where he's asked us to abandon our entire lives and follow him where he asks us for complete and full devotion and loyalty is often times uh, uh, conveniently dismissed listen to the words of uh, the renowned english thinker and writer cs lewis as he talks about jesus's claims of lordship a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things jesus said would not be a great moral teacher he would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell you must make your choice either this man was and is the son of god or else a madman or something worse you can shut him up for a fool you can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him lord and god but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher he has not left that open to us he did not intend to so in this in this illustration that jesus gives us this is actually the last parable that jesus gives us 3 days after this he is led to be crucified on the cross and he does not in this parable he does not back down from presenting himself as the as the righteous judge of all of human history the amazing thing that we see in scripture is that jesus backs up his claim by two events that change the course of human history he backs up his claim by resurrecting from the dead and boldly ascending to his throne in heaven jesus christ who was publicly executed in the witness of many people many of them who were not christ followers even his enemies witnessed his public execution and then on the third day god the father raised him from the dead and he reveals himself to 500 people in history before ascending to heaven and and it is it is interesting here that that this is a this is a hard thing for us to grasp because we we live in a in a moment in culture where judgment has so much baggage that comes with it we live in a we live in a moment in history moment in culture where where the idea of reverence is often dismissed it is it is rejected it's it's dismissed sometimes it is dismissed sometimes as a outdated antiquated idea at best or it is or it is completely rejected at worst as an oppressive idea but the bible here does not does not you know does not back down the bible is not shy from calling all people everywhere to consider the inescapable reality that there will be a day when all people everywhere will stand before the judgment seat of christ you and i all of us in this room will stand before a righteous judge in christ now i acknowledge that this is a hard thing i acknowledge that it's a hard thing to wrap our mind around because even if you did not believe if there was a holy perfect righteous and just being standing before that holy and perfect being in judgment is a terrifying thought 
And, and moreover, in this passage, we see that Jesus separates the nations of the world into two sides. And they have completely two different outcomes as they have been prepared for judgment. Now, some of us in this room right now is feeling the, the angst and the, and the opposition and maybe some resentment that is rising up in your heart when you hear an audacious statement like this. But Jesus intentionally puts this illustration here because the, the kind of, the kind of uh, uh, emotion that this kind of, uh, of a scene elicit is supposed to, it's not, it's not supposed to drive us away from God. It is supposed to draw us closer to God. It is supposed to create in us a reverence and an awe and a holy fear that leads us into the throne room of Christ, that leads us to depend more on Jesus Christ, that leads us to a humble dependence, and that leads us to worship that translates into obedience. Now, when, when our heart starts to be unimpressed with the things of God, we start to drift away from God. When we, when we, when we have the, the, the danger in preaching a passage like this in the Midwest, especially is, uh, the danger in Midwest, uh, in, a, in a place in the Midwest is, uh, like Oklahoma, is not the danger of complete rejection of Christ, but there is the danger of an over-familiarity with the things of God. We get so used to the things of God that we are no longer impressed by the things of God. This book stops to impress us. The things of God stops to grip our heart. And then we are in dangerous ground because we then start to, then we are tempted to create a God in our own image, a domesticated and tame God that we can control and that we can pet. But the Bible calls us to the reality that God is holy and he is righteous. And that should, that should, cause, that should cause a reverential posture of worship in our heart. I want you to uh, consider the words of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. It's a beautiful passage of scripture. In Isaiah chapter 6, we see this prophet Isaiah who has a glorious vision of God. And, and, and look at how he responds to this vision of God. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Listen to the words of Isaiah here. Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Verse 8, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. When we rightly see God responding to His call, responding to His command, does not become an obligation, does not become a dread, but we are energized by His Spirit to respond with joy and delight to the worthy one who, who is worthy of our response. We see, we see that Isaiah has this vision, and the first thing that comes to his mind is he, he is aware of the fact that God is God and He's not. He's aware of the fact, he's, he's aware of how his heart looks under the spotlight. And he's aware of the grace that God offers him. That he does not run away from God, but he says, he, he responds to the call of God. He responds to the mission of God. I want, to, I want us to pause and I want us to ask ourselves this question. 
if we have found our hearts drifting away from engaging the things of God, if we have found our hearts moving away from the community of God's people, if we have found our hearts unimpressed with the things of God, maybe this is the moment that God is extending an invitation to you, to me, to ask the Holy Spirit to give us the grace to have fresh eyes to see who God is, to have our hearts softened by the Spirit that once again our imagination can be captured by the beauty and glory of who Jesus Christ is and we can once again be impressed by the things of God and we can once again live out our lives in obedience as the subjects of the kingdom of God here on this side of eternity. Now, not only do we see in this passage the, the authority of Jesus, but we see in this passage the humility of Jesus. Look at the next couple of verses. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? Verse 40, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Now you see that the nations of, uh, nations of the earth that are gathered before the throne of God, they are, they are now judged as individuals. There are no group judge, judgment in the presence of God. They are, they are now separated as individuals and they stand in the presence of God. And Jesus is now handing out rewards and retributions. And it's interesting to see how the, the rewards and retributions that has been handed out to the nations of the world is handed out on the basis of how they treated the least of these in the kingdom of God. The rewards and retributions is based on how they responded to the, to the poor and the marginalized, the naked and the hungry and the thirsty in the kingdom of God. Now, I have to pause here and say that the salvation they, that, that, that they received, the eternal life that they received, is not given, it's not because of their work. It's, they did not earn their eternal life. It is an inheritance given to them. They, they, they received it from the king. But the works, the works in, in the courtroom of Christ displayed the authenticity of the faith that they professed. This is true for all of us. The works will become the evidence of the profession of our faith in the courtroom of Christ. This is a sobering reality that the scripture does not shy away from. Now we see that uh, when we consider most of the kingdoms on this side of eternity, on the earth, we see that kingdoms are, kingdoms are oppressive sometimes. Most kingdoms will either dismiss the poor and the marginalized or oppress the poor and the marginalized. Most kingdoms are actually built upon the backs of uh, the poor and the marginalized. And here we see that Jesus Christ, our King, is so humble that in His humility, He cares about, his care, he cares about the well-being of the least in His kingdom, of the least of the brothers and sisters in His kingdom. He cares about the least in His kingdom so much that He has inseparably identified Himself with the least of His brothers. He has tied His very own name with the least in the kingdom of God. What does that mean for us today? Well, that means a couple of things. First of all, we should all, we should all rejoice in the fact that, in, that, that Jesus not just knows our name, but he 
if you, are a, if you are a Christ follower in the room, if you're a disciple of Christ in the room, he has inseparably tied himself and identifies himself with you. This, this, this means that, uh, this means that uh, we can rejoice knowing that there are, in the kingdom of God, there's no more important people and less important people. In the kingdom of God, there, is no, there, are, there are no one that can be written off in the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ has leveled the ground through his death and resurrection, and he has ascribed value on the most vulnerable and the most needy of people amongst us. This means that Jesus is now calling his church to be ambassadors of reconciliation and to be, to be people that, that respond to the needs of the least amongst us. It's interesting how the nations are, the nations have been judged, you know, the, the, when, when Jesus judges the nations here, the nations are, the, the retribution and reward is based on what they have done for the least of this or what they have not done for the least of this. Jesus does not give us the option of looking away from the suffering and tragedy of a broken world. Now, it'll be, the, the most unloving thing would be, you know, you can feel the weight in the room, Right? The most unloving thing would be to give a command like this, for Christ to give a command like this and walk away. Jesus doesn't just give a command to the church like this and walk away, but Jesus empowers the church, empowers his people to respond to this command by his resurrection and by his ascension. You see, the resurrection and ascension does not just mean that Jesus has now moved on to another part of the universe where we can't see him. The resurrection and ascension of Jesus means that his resurrection means that he has fulfilled every single thing that he has promised us. He has become the perfect substitution for us. He's taken our punishment. He's taken the punishment on our behalf for our sins. And he's become this perfect substitute in our place. And God the Father has raised him up from the dead and given and ascribed on him all authority in heaven and on earth. And now with all authority in heaven and earth, he ascends to the rightful throne in the right-hand side of the Father. And he reigns and rules from there today. This means that we can be confident that we can look to any part of our city. And there is not, any part of the, there is not one part of our city that is outside of the scope of redemption. There's not one part of our city that is God-forsaken. There's not one part of our world that's God-forsaken. This means that you and I can actually step into a, a difficult situations to meet the needs of the least of this, and we can, we can confidently ask, pray this prayer and ask him, Jesus, where are you at work in our city, and where are you calling us to join you? This means that we no longer have to the, carry the weight of bringing Jesus anywhere, because wherever you go, Jesus is there. And he's calling us to be a part of his work. Now, this also means that Jesus has inseparably given himself to us through his spirit. That he has given us complete, full access to the same power through which he walked the earth. The same power through which he ministered in the broken world, he has given us that access, the power of the Holy Spirit. Scripture says that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in the inside of us. This means that we, we don't have to be overwhelmed by the brokenness of this world. We don't, not need, we don't have to be overwhelmed by, by the, the needs that we see around us. We can, be, we can be confident in the assurance that King Jesus is at work. I'm, I'm reminded uh, of uh, the story of my friend Biju. My friend Biju is a, a pastor from India, and he, he serves in Mumbai. And, uh, and his story is fascinating. About 11 years ago, Biju... Biju was uh, actually in transit in Mumbai. He was uh, flying out of the country and he was in the airport. And Mumbai is a place of 20 million people. 
So let that sink in for a second. That's 50,000 people per square mile. And so uh, Mumbai has got 20 million people. And, and uh, my friend was waiting in the airport for his flight, and he saw a local newspaper. And in the local newspaper, he saw uh, uh, an article, a report on uh, children that live in the street. There are thousands of children that live in the slums and the streets uh, in, in Mumbai. And this article was about a two-and-a-half-year-old child that was abandoned in the street. And that, that, was, that was basically the child was racing, uh, the, girl, the girl child was racing herself in the street. And the article said that the only family, the only companion that the ch- child had was a street dog. And the child slept with the street dog. And there was a picture of this child. And that, Biju being a father himself, that broke his heart. And he, he gets very emotional when he recalls the story. He, he looked over and he, saw the, he stood across the largest slum in Asia and he prayed this prayer. He was gripped by the compassion of King Jesus. He was gripped by the justice of King Jesus. And he prayed this prayer and said, Lord, would you make my life count? I say this because 11 years later, Jesus, Jesus heard this prayer and through a series of events, Jesus added to his team. And, and, and 11 years later, today, Biju and his team, by the grace of God, they feed, they feed educate, clothe about 45,000 children a month in Mumbai. This is possible because Jesus Christ is seated on the right hand side of the Father. He's called us to step into fulfilling the needs of the least of these. And when we, by faith, respond to his call, when we, by faith, believe that and take a step of faith, he meets us there. Now, I, I acknowledge that this, this may not be the story for all of us in this room. Not many of us may have, ever have an experience like Biju's. But I think it is reasonable for us to, at this juncture, pause and ask, ask ourselves this question. Where is God giving you influence? Where has He given you resources? What does it look like to look at your life and look at the spheres of your influence and see who are the least of these amongst you? Who are the least of these in your neighborhood? Who are the least of this in your part of the city? Who are the least of these in the communities that you, you work and do life in? Can we, take a, can we pause and can we ask Jesus to help us to be a part of his kingdom and ask him, ask him to reveal to us what he's calling us to in using and stewarding well the influences and the resources he's given us? Now, we don't have to go all the way across half the world to serve the least in this. I want to read a couple of uh, statistics about our city right here. There are over 12,000 kids under the age of 18 in the Oklahoma DHS custody. In Oklahoma City, there are between 5,200 to 6,500 homeless men, women, and children. In our city, we have one of the highest underemployment rates in the nation. We lead the nation in having the most incarcerated women. We rank, we rank second in teenage pregnancy and infant mortality. Where is God calling us to serve the least of these in our city? Where is God calling us to steward our resources, steward our time, steward our influence as well? One of the practical ways that we can respond to this is through the 405 Center. Justin talked about it last week. The 405 Center is a, is a non-profit 
you know, it's a nonprofit which connects you to the needs of the city. So if, if you are, you can serve as an individual, you can serve in, with your community group, you can serve with your family, you can visit the website 405center.org, or you can talk to any one of the leaders after we dismiss the service and we'd love to get you plugged in. 405 Center is now the only opportunity. I think I would, I would encourage you to, even, even today, within the walls of your own heart, pray this prayer and ask the Lord, Ask the Lord, where is he giving you influence? Where is he giving you resources to steward the time and resources that God has given you well for his glory? So the high and humble King Jesus Christ, he calls us to join with him in his work. He calls us to join with him in his work of caring for the least of these. So today, I, as we close, I want, us to, I want us to think about this for a second. It's easy to, when we think about the least of this, it's easy to think about someone somewhere, a nameless, faceless people. But the truth is that all of us sitting in this room are, are least of this when we, look, when, we look, when we look at ourselves in the light of the grace of God. We have, at one point of time, we were spiritually naked. We were spiritually poor. We were spiritually hungry and thirsty. And Jesus Christ, he, he endured. You know, when we stand before the throne of God, we won't get to ask Jesus, where did we see you hungry? Where did we see you uh, thirsty? Where, would we, where did we see you naked? Because we've seen him naked. We've seen him hungry. We've seen him poor on the cross of Calvary. We see him hanging there naked on the cross of Calvary, the son of God, emptying himself for you and for me. We see him thirsty. He cried out and said, I thirst. He took our place. He was condemned for something that he did not deserve so that you and I may enjoy the benefits of the freedom that he has purchased for us on the cross of Calvary. So if you are in this room and you are a Christian, God is not calling you to serve out of guilt. God is not calling you to serve out of shame. Jesus is calling you to remember, calling me to remember that you and I are beneficiaries of the abundant generosity of Christ. Christ has bankrupted himself to pour into our lives. He has given us grace upon grace freely. And so today he is calling us to, to, cons to, first of all, remember that we are the least of this. And out of the comfort and grace and mercy that we daily receive from our king, he has called us to serve the least of this amongst us. If you're here and uh, you are not a Christian, you would say that you are you're not yet a Christian. Man, thank you so much for being here. It means a lot that you're here. I want you to know that in the preaching of the sermon, God is not moving away from you. Jesus is moving closer to you. If you feel, if you feel in your heart, if you feel a, a stirring in your heart to have a conversation about what it means to follow Jesus or engage a conversation about the claims of Jesus, please know that this is a safe place. We would love to serve you. We'll have leaders here. Who, who, we will clear our schedules to meet with you, talk with you, and have a conversation of what it means to follow Jesus.